Welcome to The Wellness Conversation, an Ohio Health podcast, a show dedicated to exploring health and wellness topics to inform and educate. I'm your host, Missy Gleason, and I'm joined by my co-host, Marcus Thorpe. Thanks, Missy. We are so excited to be here and to start this new podcast. And just to catch you up a little bit on who we are, Missy and I are teammates on Ohio Health's marketing communications team. I'm currently the media relations manager at Ohio Health. I've been in that role since 2016. And prior to that, worked nearly 20 years in television as an anchor, a reporter, and a producer, most recently with NBC4 in Columbus. I certainly love the art of the interview, and I hope that you enjoy this podcast as much as we will enjoy bringing it to you. And similar to Marcus, I started my professional career in television news as well. I spent 13 years producing newscasts at Columbus's CBS affiliate, WBNS 10TV. Today, I'm the brand journalism lead for Ohio Health, which involves working on the Ohio Health Wellness blog and our social media channels. I've been here since 2009. So on today's episode, we are going to be diving into the topic of women's health. We're going to do a get started guide. And joining us today, we've got Dr. Megan Batten, and she will be talking about a range of services that the NOBGYN provides, and you'll be able to get valuable insights into women's health issues and learn how to prioritize your well-being with our expert guest. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Batten. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I mean, this is a, it's a wide-range topic. It is something that is very important for people. But first off, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you landed at Ohio Health, why you chose this route. I mean, it, it's, uh, it's such an important uh, piece of work that you do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm originally from Buffalo, New York. My educational career took me from Buffalo to Rochester, then down to Kansas City, and then up here where I trained at Ohio State for my residency, and then immediately after joined the group out in Marion, Ohio. And I chose OB because I'm passionate about women's health and passionate about being an advocate for patients, particularly those going through the highs and the lows of their life. Yeah. Awesome. So can you explain for us what an OBGYN is and what's their role in women's health care? So an OBGYN is a physician, and we specialize in women's health. And so this means that we take care of women from adolescence all the way through to and past menopause. Um, When we think of OBGYN, it's kind of twofold, where the OB stands for obstetrics, and we provide care for patients in the antepartum state, which is pre-pregnancy, through the delivery itself, and then postpartum. Then when we think of GYN, that's for gynecology, and that is where we take care of all the disorders and diseases that pertain to the female pelvic tract. So that could be things such as endometriosis, adenomyosis, PCOS, anything pertaining to that. Are there common misconceptions that you think people have when either they're bringing someone for the very first time or maybe they've put off care and they see you for the first time? Yeah, I think the first misconception that we see a lot is people either assume we're just an obstetrician or just a gynecologist. And certainly there are. There are some um, OBGYNs who now only do OB or only do GYN, but I would say for the majority is that we do both. So a lot of times I'll see patients for their OB care and they're like, oh, can I see you afterwards as well? Mm. Um, We do do global care, and so we do see patients for all of OB and all of GYN. The other misconception I see a lot is that patients will think that they need a pap smear every year. And so they're often very scared to come see us because they think they're getting a pelvic exam, which pertains a pap smear. 
And so a lot of times we don't see patients in the adolescent stage because of that fear. And I would say that is not true. It's definitely a misconception. Often we don't start pap smears until the age of 21. We still like to see our adolescent patients to provide them with counseling and guidance prior to that. Um, and sometimes we don't have to do pap smears every year. Sometimes we can do it every three years or every five years, depending on where that patient falls in our ASCCP guidelines. So jumping off of that um, point, what is something you wish your patients knew about your job and the care you provide? Well, first and foremost, I think it's really important for patients to know that it is a safe and confidential space. It is between myself or their other OBGYN that they're seeing and them. The other thing I believe that every patient should know is that what's right for their body is what's going to be right for us. While we're there to prevent or present them with guidelines and recommendations on what we feel the next best step may be, ultimately the best step is what they feel is right for their body. So sometimes women feel that they're going to come in and get pressured into, say, an IUD or surgery or getting a pap smear that day. But if they're not ready, then we're not ready to. So we're there to educate and then also respect their body and their wishes. So I wish every patient knew that so that they felt it was a safe and comfortable uh, place for them. And then lastly, I would say it's really important for patients to know that we are non-discriminatory. Whether you're LGBTQI or straight, we are here to provide each and every patient with the standard of care. Are the patients surprised? I mean, you say sometimes they're hesitant to come in because they think it's going to go one way. Once they're done with it, how often do you then hear, oh, that's it? Almost every time. I'll tell patients, you don't have to change it. You don't have to take off your clothes. You don't have to put in a gown, whether unless you want to. Unless you said, today's the day I want to have a pap smear, then we'll have that conversation. Particularly with adolescents, I get it all the time where I'm like, you don't even have to sit on the exam table. Just sit in a chair and let's just talk. And let's just figure out what's right for you and what you want to do next. So I would say almost every time patients are like, oh, that wasn't as bad. Or they anticipate that the pelvic exam or the pap smear is painful. If it is painful, we are doing something very wrong. So I tell them, if there's pain, we stop, we reevaluate, and almost never do patients tell me that. Is that an important component for you is to kind of break down those myths and those fears? Because if they have a good experience the first or second time that they come and they visit with you, the chances of them coming back consistently for those checkups increases. Is that the way you and your team have to look at these things? Absolutely. And I think that's also why we look at the importance of adolescent care. Bring a patient in, whether they need a pap smear or a pelvic exam or a breast exam, which likely they don't at that age. It's just about building that relationship, making them comfortable, making them feel like, oh, Dr. Batten or Dr. Tucker, whomever they're seeing is so comfortable and so lovely to be around. I know they're going to respect me, my body and my wishes. So can you give us an idea? I mean, it's a wide range of things, but can you give us an idea of what services OBGYNs typically provide? And maybe it might be easier to kind of break it down by age group. Yeah, absolutely. So I would say services we provide from an obstetrical standpoint, uh, relatively speaking, is we do the antepartum, so pre-pregnancy care, and that's the same for anyone of any age, the intrapartum or labor and delivery care, and then the postpartum care. When it comes to gynecological care, that is where it varies by age, but generally speaking, our goal is first and foremost always for prevention. Our goal is to prevent disease or prevent anyone from having a formal diagnosis. And that's by first making sure that they're up to date on their vaccine. So they get their flu shot, did they get their Gardasil, their COVID vaccine. 
And then other things that we target for prevention is making sure we're preventing an unplanned pregnancy and making sure we're preventing sexually transmitted infections. So that's our first goal is prevention. And then secondly, our second main objective always is to detect things such as cancer, whether it be breast cancer, lung cancer, cervical cancer, endometrial ovarian cancer, with the goal of detecting it earlier than later. And then lastly, our goal is to treat. So it may be treating something like adenomyosis or endometriosis or sexually transmitted infections. Um, that is our main goal. So I would say to prevent, to detect, and to treat. Dr. Megan Batten is our guest, OBGYN with Ohio Health. What stages, how often should people be coming in? At what point, whether it's just what you would consider a quote-unquote routine versus maybe when you find something that you want to pay a little closer attention to over a six-month period or a year period or even maybe shorter than that. Can you give us those stages of how often you think you need to be seeing patients? Sure. So it's a little bit easier to say that for an OB patient. It's pretty standard in that we see everyone every four weeks up until they're 28 weeks, and then we start seeing patients every two weeks until they're 36 weeks, and then we see them weekly until delivery. If they're a high-risk pregnancy, often it's even closer or Maybe we're managing them um, side by side with maternal fetal medicine. So those appointments may differ, but typically they're pretty standard. Now, when we're talking about gynecology visits, for an annual, that's every year. And that's a recommendation from adolescents on past menopause. But when we're treating a disease or a disorder, that could vary. Typically, when we start medication on any patient, it's going to say, come back in four to six weeks. Let's see how you're doing, evaluate, and decide if we need to stay the course or change the direction. And then sometimes if it's we're starting a contraceptive or a medical management for something like abnormal uterine bleeding, that's often we'll say, well, let's see you back in two to three months. Let's give that medication time to kind of take over, work its magic, and then we'll see where you're going. Again, decide, stay the course or switch it up. So regular checkups, obviously critically important in all of this. And um, so as you're looking for opportunities um, online, call offices of, of your OBGYN because uh, we want to make sure that folks are getting regular screenings, Missy, and, and the importance of regular checkups. We see that so much when it comes to not only seeing if anything's going wrong, but also encouraging people, hey, you're doing all the right things. This is really working well. Keep your course of action. It seems to be doing really well for you. And it sounds like there aren't, it's not a typical visit. It will depend on when you show up, how old you are, where you are in your life. But can you kind of give us an idea of how your visits with your patients start and how do they continue? So typically, like what age they start at? Mm -hmm. So typically in adolescence, we'd say the first time we should see a patient is between the ages of 13 and 15 or if they're sexually active or whichever comes first. Starting from there, I want to see my patients typically every year or even shorter intervals. I see patients all the way through the perimenopause, menopause, and even postmenopausal state. Some patients maybe use their OBGYN as their primary care physician, so we encourage them to continue to come to us for their mammograms, pelvic exams, orders for their colonoscopies, um, DEXA scans, and anything else that they might be, need screening for, such as diabetes and their lipid screening as well. We always talk about having a supportive family, a supporting partner, those kind of things. Obviously, I'm a man. <laughs> so what role can a husband, a partner, somebody play 
in kind of the role of women's health and making sure that either daughters are getting checkups or wives or mothers or those kind of things like how can I approach it from a man's perspective to be supportive and to be encouraging and making sure that these screenings and these kind of things are are being taken care of on a regular basis? I would say that the most important thing from that perspective would be to encourage whether it's your sister, your daughter, your aunt, your mother, and let them know that their OBGYN is a safe place. They're likely also, for me, a woman who also has a daughter, a mother, an aunt, a sister, a grandmother. We are there to provide them with the best care, the standard of care, and to be in a safe and comfortable environment. If it's not something that, say, adolescents or peers are able to talk about amongst themselves, they certainly can talk about it with us in, in the office. Yeah. It's so awesome. regular checkups and have your support system and consider your OBGYN your safe space. Absolutely. Wonderful. Okay, so let's transition into a very important topic, mental health. What are some common mental health concerns that women may face? So often we see women for a whole slew of mental health concerns, but the majority being things such as anxiety, depression, particularly postpartum depression, anxiety, and a lot of PTSD. Has that grown? Do you see more of that? Is it about the same? I mean, is there... It's not one size fits all. Obviously, everybody's different. They're coming to you from different parts of their lives and, and world. Is there age groups that you're seeing more of that in maybe than you have in years past? You know, it's hard to say. I, I wonder if if it's either we're seeing more of it or women are feeling more vulnerable and open to talking about it. But regardless, yes, I do think there's an uptick in patients who I see daily with these concerns that need addressed. I do see so much more of that on you know, social media does get a bad rap for good reason for tearing people down. But the more and more I see of people that are saying, I'm struggling, or I'm going through depression, or here's my story. In some ways, I think men, women, teens read that and might go, oh, okay, it's okay to talk about this, which I think in some ways is obviously a very encouraging thing. So when you see folks that you know are struggling, or they're telling you that they're struggling with, with mental health, um, how can an OBGYN support a woman's mental health and moving forward? Yeah. The first thing I tell patients is, one, we're going to do everything we can to get them better. Two, we will like the, likely get them better. And three, it's a marathon, not a sprint. But four, and most importantly, is it's a team effort. So we have a lot of resources for anyone battling with anxiety, depression, postpartum depression. Um, and it starts in the office. First, the patient has to tell us they're struggling and I congratulate them for that because the more vulnerable we are with each other, the more likely friends and family will also open up and that we can get them the resources they need as well. So we typically talk about the next best steps for them. I typically like to get patients into therapy right away. Um, and this may be through a social worker, or we also have a really wonderful behavioralist team that they can get linked up to, and they can do that through telehealth or in the office as well. So it's a really wonderful resource. For patients with postpartum depression, we have wonderful resources as well. We have a group called POEM that works directly with them. We also have community resources such as Help Me Grow that's really important for our patients who are pregnant, struggling with depression or with postpartum depression. So I tell them we're going to tackle it 
full on. We're going to get in with a therapist, a psychiatrist, myself, likely social work for more community support as well. And if we need to start medications, and that's something the patient and I will talk about doing either that day or at their follow-up visit if they're not improving. I have seen in a lot of different regards with Ohio Health, it's kind of the advantage of being a large system is that you can take the patient, put the patient in the middle, and then all the teams can work around the patient. So you have the social work team, you have the primary care physician, you have the specialist, you mm -hmm. have all of these things. Do, do you think there's an advantage of that? Instead of having a patient that has to keep coming in and out, in and out, in and out, now you've got them centered and you work around them? Oh, absolutely. And I, and I love it because we we're able to collaborate much easier that day. So our, our behavioralist is in the office with us. So if I have a patient who is like Dr. Batten, I'm struggling with postpartum depression, we go through our spiel, we talk about the next best steps, and I go get Erica right away and say, Erica, I have a patient for you to meet with. And she'll go and meet with that patient that day. So we're already connected with the physician. We're already connected with a therapist. We already have a behaviorist on board. And all it, had, all it took was a patient just kind of telling me, hey, I need some help. And it's okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay to feel this way sometimes, too. So It's okay not to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So when you see women in spaces in their life where they're making big changes, pregnancy, menopause, and a lot of people look at that as a physical change. It's, it's you know, they focus on the physical. But hormones shifting and adjusting has such a big impact on mental health and how you perceive yourself and how you perceive the world around you. How do you, as a physician, help women cope with those changes? Yeah, first, I, I let them know it's, it's hard, and it's going to be hard, but it doesn't have to be as hard as they need it to be or are making it be. You know, that's something we're there to help them through. Um, I let them know pregnancy is hard. Menopause is hard. I think a lot of times with pregnancy, patients talk about or the community or or social media talk about the joys of pregnancy but it's actually a really hard time for most if not all women um, the first thing I tell women is just be kind to your body it's okay to have to slow down in pregnancy it's okay to have to ask for help in the postpartum setting it's okay to feel low during menopause but I say be kind to your body and then I tell them to pick a mantra sometimes for, for me for instance a mantra that I have with my my toddler right now is, <laughs> she's a good human having a hard time. And sometimes I tell patients, you're a good person. You're having a hard time. It's okay. We're going to get through it. Um, and then I set them up with resources. What do we need? And what's the next best step for them? I think about my wife. Um, obviously a very strong person, a, a, a professional, um, a, a great mom, but also the kind of person that will push through it and work hard and put her head down. And I think about, you know, those, those weeks and months after having our two sons, you know, her mindset was, I got to put my head down and, and get this done and, and nothing's going to stop me. But how important is it for support systems and those people to really pay extra close attention? Because you'll have somebody like my wife who I can't stop. Anything. I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. But if I see changes or somebody sees changes, you have to do something. You have to say something. You have to get involved. Can you walk us through how to do that? Absolutely. I, I would say the first thing, if I, I never ask someone in the postpartum setting, like, how great is, how great is life right now? How's your baby doing? How's this? I always ask when I see a patient for a postpartum visit is, how are you doing mentally? Because physically, we're going to fix that. No matter what's going on physically, if it's hard, we've we got solutions. 
but I always ask, how are you doing mentally? And I think in society, that's something we need to be asking our friends or family in that postpartum setting, not just kind of reveling over this miracle that's taken place, which is wonderful, but it also came with a big sacrifice and saying, how are you doing mentally and how can I help you? And a lot of times, even with that question is, how can I help you, is is giving help and not necessarily asking a woman for help. Because like you said, we put our heads down and we kind of persevere through. And sometimes I just say, look, you have a lot on your plate. I'm going to take one thing off of it. Tell me what that one thing is. So not really giving them an option or not making someone confess that, hey, I do need help and I need this to be taken off my plate, saying I'm going to do it give it to me. We all have a role to play there. I mean, it's not just the woman trying to have to make the decision and saying, I, I'm having a difficult time here. It's somebody else also recognizing and seeing that it's okay, as you mentioned, Missy, not, not to feel okay, not to be okay at this point too. So, mm-hmm. But culturally, I think it's also really important that we start talking about our struggles in this in these times talking about the struggles of menopause, talking about the struggles of pregnancy, because I often feel that patients feel alone. But the ironic thing, or maybe not so ironic, is that most days, all day and every day, sometimes I'm seeing patients with the same concern. So I know that no one in this space really is alone. Quite frankly, they're, they probably should be bonding over that. And that's why we do really have some great resources and group therapy for, for these women. So I would love to know, can you share a particularly memorable or impactful moment from your career as an OBGYN? Man, I think that's a really, really hard question. And I think it's because OBGYN, we are known for taking care of women through the the highs of the highs, such as delivering their first baby, delivering their last baby, and some pretty, pretty hard lows, having a miscarriage or infertility. And so I would say over the course of my career, I've met every single woman I've met is incredible in their own way. But what I would say as a whole is that I don't necessarily have one great moment. But when I look back on COVID, I always think, wow, this has a really long lasting impact that is often mostly seen as negative. But I think when we, when we really look at it, it's easy for me to see it as like glass half full. Because I can look back on COVID and think of all the women who didn't have their significant other or their spouse in the delivery room, but they had me and a nursing team and some pretty rock star students and everyone around them who supported them and provided them with great care. And that's when that era of COVID really made me proud to be an OBGYN, to see how amazing women really are resilient, kind, fearless, and loving. And I thought, it's pretty great to be a woman. And it was really great to stand by women during this time. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah, me too. Uh, Megan Batten is our guest, OBGYN with Ohio Health. Um, You you talked about kind of nerves and and ages and, and those kind of things. I'm curious, like, when do you see, um, kind of that that wall of nerves go down is it is it their first visitor or do you have some that sometimes it takes a couple or it's not right away and and you have to kind of earn that trust I mean that's kind of what physicians are all about is earning that patient trust and and coming back over and over again when do you start to see some of those walls go down in some of your visits usually it's the first visit when I can tell someone's nervous and I just say hey get off the exam table sit in the chair we're not even doing an exam today and they know oh phew 
because what people are most nervous about is that exam. Also, we'll do the exam when you're ready. And often by the end of the visit, they're like, oh, I'm, I'm okay doing an exam today. Or maybe it's not even indicated. But that's the first time we, we kind of break the barrier. Make them comfortable, understand that it's a safe place, and that we're only touching their body if it's right for them on that day. Yeah. I love that. So we have now come to the portion of our show where we love to get a little more personal and ask you some rapid fire questions. And I know we had some chatter pre-recording, so <laughs> this is a gimme. gimme. But um, favorite TV show? Ted Lasso. Yes. Hands down. <laughs> I can't stop talking about it, particularly the, the season finale. Agree. Which I made sure nobody tells me because I haven't finished it yet. No spoilers. They keep teasing me along saying, you, what do you mean you haven't seen it yet? I know. I know. I, but I, you could binge You could binge the whole last season mm-hmm. in a weekend. I will, too. Uh, what do you like about Ted Lasso? I mean, is it just the, the characters? Is it the storylines? What is it that draws you there? Honestly, I think the character development is phenomenal. I I often will finish an episode, a Besides that beard episode, which still is very strange to me. Strange. Um, I'll walk away wanting to be a better person and feeling like a better person. And I think that's powerful. What I think is the most amazing is that you look at it as a team because that's what they are. I look at it from a leadership standpoint. And his leadership, Ted Lasso's leadership is unique, but it's filled with kindness, love, loyalty, and that is what gets his team where they want to be. Yeah. And at the end of the day... It's about them being happy, not champions. And they end up being happy, which makes them a champion, which I think is remarkable. But somehow it just makes you want to be a better person when I finish those episodes. And I love it. It's lighthearted. It's not dark. It's not scary. And I can fall asleep afterwards. Yeah. And you said you don't watch a lot of TV anyway. So that's one that obviously pulled you in and didn't let go. Yeah. That and New Girl, so. (laughs) (laughs) New Girl's fun. That's all I got. Uh, Is there a comfort food? I mean, is there something where you're like, oh, I've had such a stressful day, which Mm. in your line of work I can imagine is many days, but is there something where you get home and you're like, okay, this is where I'm going? Well, to my husband's dismay, I am from Buffalo, New York, so pizza and chicken wings are always my (laughs) go-to. Have you been to the Anchor Bar then from Buffalo, obviously? Yes, but that is not the best place to go. Really? Yeah, there's like so many places. That's true. Gabriel's it's just the most gay. well-known, right? Yeah, from like a touristy standpoint. Yeah. But you just can't go wrong in Buffalo. True. Buffalo Bills fan then, I guess, Absolutely. right? Bills Mafia? Absolutely. Well, I don't know if I'm a Bills Mafia fan per <laughs> we, se. We have <laughs> tables here. I don't want to see you jumping <laughs> through the table. <laughs> but yeah, I'm a Josh Allen fan. Yeah. Okay, one more question. What is the best vacation you have ever taken? Well... I've been on a I've been on a, a lot of great adventures. I am very passionate about global health, particularly women's um, care and global health. So I've been to Africa a lot, but recently, two years ago, I went to Pakistan with a group called Imana, and it was a wonderful a wonderful trip. I suppose it was, it was not a vacation, but we got to provide care for a lot of really underserved, underprivileged women who um, hadn't seen a doctor in their entire lifetime and so that was a really unique experience but it was also very rewarding as well sounds amazing Mm -hmm. well dr megan batten this has been a great chat we really appreciate you being on our podcast and uh, we will put all of dr batten's information in the body of a story that we're going to put together with the story Mm. so if people want to find 
you or, or women's health colleagues, it's, it's obviously very easy. Women's health is a very big component of the Ohio Health uh, portfolio and family. Obviously, we're growing with the new project that's happening at Ohio Health Riverside Methodist Hospital over the next several years. I, I'm curious about your take as that. I mean, this is your, your life, your passion. When you see the investment that an organization like Ohio Health is making in women's health, what does it mean to you? Oh, I'm so excited. Because I think oftentimes women feel shafted, especially <laughs> with health care. And I think this is Ohio Health saying that absolutely not. Everyone deserves the standard of care, if not greater. And I think it's an opportunity for um, every woman in central Ohio and all of Ohio to receive the best care that they deserve. Amen. Is there anything in our discussion today that you feel like we missed or you want to address? No. I don't think so. That's wow. good. Go yeah. us. It means we did a good job. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Before we wrap up, we invite you to join us on all major social channels to stay up to date on new episodes and other health and wellness topics. And if you're looking for more information on Ohio Health services and locations, be sure to visit OhioHealth.com. And the information in this episode will also be available in written form on the Ohio Health Wellness blog. You can find that at blog.ohiohealth.com. We thank you for tuning in to the Wellness Conversation. We hope you found this episode informative and valuable, and be sure to join us next time as we continue our exploration of important health and wellness topics with Ohio Health experts.